welcome to Stark Contrast, a Game of Thrones podcast and movie fail. I'm Josh Rosenfield, here with Soren Howe. We're here to talk about Season 7, Episode 2, Stormborn. Uh, you seem to have a lot of... You were kind of implying that you have some <laughs> some takes I do, I do have some on this takes. episode that you want to get to, <laughs> so I think I might just hand it off to you right off the bat. Well, before we do that, I actually wanted to... Uh... I'm very excited to talk about this episode. It's very exciting uh, for me. But uh, before we talk about that, uh, I just thought it would be fun to address uh, sort of the elephant in the room, which I suppose is beyond the the news cycle now. It like came and went. But um, so the illustrious creators of Game of Thrones have decided that they're going to make a new television show, which you may have heard about, <laughs> uh, called Con- yeah. called Confederate, which is a uh, a drama series that is about if the confederates had won uh, the civil war and it's causing a lot of controversy uh, because people are not terribly happy that there is yeah what a... if racists were in charge yeah what if racists can you even, were <laughs> can you can your brain even even comprehend such a fantastical world it's um yeah it seems like a bad idea i don't know i i don't want to get too into it because it's really a game of thrones podcast but as this is sort of directly related i, I figured you might have uh does, I mean, does it seem like a like a truly stupid idea to you, or is this? Um... It just yeah, I mean, like it just seems like a kind of pointless idea. Like, I mean, like I said, this is not. Is it really so far removed from uh, our current situation? I think it takes a kind of a very shallow understanding of history to say that a world where the and this isn't even that the Confederates had taken over the North. This is just from what I understand. They just succeeded in in seceding <laughs> from the north, and the north is still the way it is. It's right. just that in the south, it's like there's still slavery, I guess. Um, but like people who have an understanding of history kind of understand that even though we finger quotes ended slavery, um, that kind of the structures that uh, slavery created in our society are still very much existent and still very much a part of uh, life uh, for African-Americans. Um, so the idea of making a show of like, oh, wow, what if the Confederates had actually <laughs> won the war? It's like, how, it can't, po- it wouldn't possibly, you would have to go so far. Tonally, like tonally, it would have to be like the broadest satire, I guess. Which is not something I'm so confident in, in these creators. Yeah, and it doesn't <laughs> uh, seem like that's what they're doing. Make. They look like they're going to make a. And I, yeah, here's, it's going to be a, like a drama. Yeah, and here's a thing that I. So I just want to make this very clear. I'm not a fan of of um, evaluating the quality of work without seeing it, but that is not the same thing as saying that something is a stupid idea from the <laughs> get go. You know, these are two different things. So I'm not saying that the show won't be well made. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But fundamentally, it is being made on a premise that is just so, I think, misplaced in a world where, you know, 13th and, you know, all these, like, incredible documentaries are coming out. Uh, um, uh, what's the one I'm thinking of that I just saw? Uh, the one about uh, about Baldwin. Oh. Um, I Am Not Your Negro. Yes. Right? Yes, 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 yes. I want to see that really bad. It's really good. Um, uh, There's a review of that on our uh, on our website. Uh, But if you if you check out these these uh, these documentaries about like the way these systems are still in place and it's just to to make this it just seems so um, out of touch and not like I can't really envision how this is supposed to work. 
but whatever. The, the one thing I will say is that, uh, just to be clear, it's not just uh, D.B. Weiss and David Benioff, uh, Nichelle Tramble-Spellman and also Malcolm Spellman from, I believe, uh, The Good Wife and Empire, respectively, are both uh, going to be working as uh, at least executive producers, if not showrunners, on this, and they're both black, so people are thinking, well, maybe there's, you know, going to be a little bit of nuance to this, or, you know, because they've both produced pretty, um, quite successful shows uh, in, in some of those, you know, in, in other space, spaces that are not directly related to Game of Thrones. But the reason I bring it up in the context of Game of Thrones and the reason that I want to talk about it is I think it's interesting to see now, knowing they're going to make this other series, what they do with the only two black characters in Game of Thrones. Uh, so I would yeah. like to, I'd like to get into that when we, uh, when we get to that point. And it's something I think we've touched on in the past in previous uh, podcast, but we haven't really di- uh, we haven't really dived in in any significant um, uh, detail. So I'll just I'll lightly touch on it. I don't want to get into a, a whole discussion that goes you know too much in depth. That it's not really necessarily our remits, uh, but I think it's worth noting how you know again how these characters are being held, uh, handled on this show. Um, and so yeah, the other thing I think it's important to talk about uh, is uh, a lot of the the class issues, which I think will also come up in this episode that. Are becoming more and more prevalent, and I wonder how they're going to play into the finale. Which is the reason I talk. I mentioned that is there was an amazing article I think I sent to you, Josh, uh, about how everyone should be rooting for Littlefinger in Game of Thrones because yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I kind of feel like must have been satire. I don't remember where it was published, um, but that everyone should be rooting for Littlefinger because he pulled himself up by his bootstraps and just you know nothing to do with him being a man uh, certainly. Uh, you know, managed to succeed in the face of adversity, uh, even though he ran like a brothel and has, you know, jealously pursued. He was her. friends with with royals. Uh, it's just for his entire life. Oh, exactly, exactly. But it was he lived in there. He lived in their <laughs> shadows, Josh. So we should all. But more yeah. importantly, that you know, any good capitalist would support Littlefinger, and he, you know, he represents the the true, yeah. uh, you oh. know. There was that tweet from, I think it was ridiculous. John Podoritz too, which is another one of these like um, columnist guys that was like, um, I don't know why Sansa is being so mean to Littlefinger. Like he oh he God. saved them at the battle. What's her problem? <laughs> which is like it, an incredible read of of the show, and I think requires a selective memory uh, to say the least. I just I think you know. I, I, I don't want to give the creators any credit for the scenes where they have literally displayed, uh, you know, for, I would argue, very poor reasons, um, you know, sexual assault and all these other things that we've talked about in great length in the past. And it, I, like, I don't want to give them credit for those scenes, but it, what is remarkable is that those scenes were so explicit and we still are getting these questions from people. I mean, if that yeah. doesn't say something it's... about the way people are, you know, the way gender, you know, distributions work in, in, in society. I mean, it's just, it's really, truly remarkable. Um, well, I'm on record as saying that no, no one who works in politics should be allowed to talk about movies or TV anymore. Because, <laughs> like, every, cause every time they do, they prove why it sh- they shouldn't be allowed. Um, That's interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, they just, you know, and, and vice, and also, you know, it happens with political journalists talking about it as well. I think it's just in general, yeah. it, be- it becomes quite, of course, in the converse talking about politics, the problem is you have to talk about politics. If you talk about art because it's how, what influence, you know, it's society and politics and religion and all these other things are what, you know, are the basis of the art in the first place. So 
in the other direction, it's kind of not really possible. Uh, so yeah, it's a uh, uh, conundrum. But in any case, so that's a lot of background for this uh, for this podcast. Now we can actually talk about the episode. So, uh, right. very different uh, stylistically from last episode. I don't know if you felt the same way, but I did not feel like this was um, this was not Jeremy Podesba who was uh, who was directing this. This was uh, uh, very different in terms of uh, I think in particular. There's a, a, a huge reliance on shot, reverse shot, kind of ordinary framing uh, in a lot of the episode. Um, but at least, at the very least, one example of the same, of the editing, uh, a little more effort put into to the editing that we talked about last week. There's at least one example I can think of that was... Um, <laughs> There was one good cut in this episode. I don't know if you. Uh, yeah, you know I know exactly what you're about. talking about. Yes. Yeah, we'll get to it. It's brilliant. Um, and actually, you know, so but but we can we can talk about that broadly and and maybe just specifically in the, those uh, cases. There were a lot of really good match cuts this episode, uh, and before the one that you're talking about, which I'm almost positive you're talking about, there was a really good one where, uh, in uh, there's the sex scene, which we'll get to. Um, there's a part where it looks like. It's uh, Missandei's hand reaching up to grab a bed yeah, or something, and instead too. it's a book, and we're back in the Citadel, and that was a really good cut, really subtle. Um, I I actually laughed. I thought it was a, uh, it was it was it was amusing to connect the two. You know, this arguably very sexless uh, Citadel uh, setting, which is very clinical and and drab and intellectual and boring and extremely Everything male. that's happened at the Citadel is the least arousing yeah. thing that's ever happened on this show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and to cut from this, you know, I would argue fairly pornographic scene to <laughs> the Citadel was, was quite jarring. Of course, then later we get the uh, the scene with Jorah, which cuts to a pie, uh, which yeah. I assume is what you were talking about, and that was that, horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, really exciting. Like, for me, I was like, yes, this is awesome but also that was disgusting uh i didn't know what i was looking at at first i was like wait what what is this oh god um it's a pie so uh yeah so let's start I, I, right at the beginning so i really liked this entire intro sequence where we're getting a lot of the internal dynamics of daenerys's courts or advisors um particularly her interactions with uh with Tyrion and then with Varys in terms of his, you know, uh, and and her challenging Varys's loyalty. Um, what did you what did you make of this this back and forth? Um, well, first of all, I love that uh, we talked about last week. The Greyjoys are back, yeah, um, and they'll be back more later. But I was very happy to see uh, Yara and Theon. Um, I miss those characters. One more, one more than the other. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like. We get a similar scene with John later. Um, again, the show is is for for a very long time has positioned John and Daenerys uh, as, as parallel. You know, obviously the fire and ice mm-hmm. thing, but it's done a lot to kind of uh, uh, draw parallels between them, and it does in this episode. Uh, two scenes where <laughs> they meet with their advisors and then do not listen to them. Yeah. Um, exactly. Although I would a- argue that it's not really John's advisors; it's just you know. Random well, yeah, but it's heads of house. I do think it's funny because I mean, I think John is 
I mean, I, I, from our perspective, obviously, John is make, not making the wrong decision because we know it's not a trap for him. Right. Um, but I think Daenerys is pretty clearly making the right decision here to not just immediately attack full force all out on King's Landing. That I don't know why. It, it doesn't seem in Elena's character, especially. Elena, who we know is someone who always kind of works, not in the shadows, but like from the background, very sneakily, you know. Um, it, it it seems a little out of character for her to advise just a a uh, a full frontal assault on King's Landing. You know, I don't feel like that's what she's advising, but to be clear, that's not what actually this opening sequence is about. Uh, oh, which one is this then? So this is just the I... opening with, with Varys and Tyrion and the challenging of loyalty. We cut back to it a little bit later where suddenly Yara's there and Elena's there and... Okay. Um... What's uh what's the Martell lady's name? Uh, the mom. Oh, the, Alaria. 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 That's I thought it was Alaria. I didn't want to say it because I wasn't sure. But yeah, Alaria. Um, they're all there suddenly, but that's in a, that's like just a little bit after. Um, <laughs> right. Right. Oh, because it's raining. I, I remember now. It starts out with it with it's raining, yeah. and I remember think because I thought last week when they went into that room, and every time they go into that room, I think when it's when there's a storm out. It must suck to be in this room with no walls. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you make that the most important room in your castle? Yeah, it's a bit strange. Um, but the Targaryens are strange, so you know, um, <laughs> you have to think about who. Oh, and yeah, it. and like we were talking about last week, how the scene of her coming back, coming back to Dragonstone, was a little anticlimactic because she doesn't really have any connection yeah. to this place. She says that she it's talks about that says, in this yeah. opening scene, how this place doesn't really mean anything to her. Right. And, which is weird because we saw it seemed like she was connecting with it, but you're like, why? Why? Because there's dragon things, kind of. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, but yeah, so she's not really connecting with it. Uh, but yeah, I, I really like this back and forth with Varys, and the reason I think it's really uh, it's sort of it, it elaborate it it deepens both of their characters and their relationship between them, and establishes a dynamic with Tyrion, which is not what we've come to expect with Tyrion. So. First, you know, Daenerys is going through Varys' past and saying, you don't really follow any leader, uh, and I don't really trust you. Which is a fair thing to say, although a little weird to say it now of all times, but, you know, sure. Um, and Varys makes a point. He says, yeah, I'm not going to support anyone who's not supporting the people. So, you know, when you stop supporting the people, then I won't support you anymore. Um, and she makes a very reasonable, I think very leaderly thing. She says, you know, if I ever you know, deviate from that path, please talk to me instead of going behind my back. And of course he says he will, I don't know that he will, but then she also threatens to burn him alive, so I suppose that all, the, all the, well, that ends well. But what's important <laughs> is that during this conversation, Tyrion tries to interject and make a recommendation, and she ignores him completely, um, which is sort of what Elena was later recommends in the episode, which is to not always listen to your advisors and to do what you think is right. Um... And I think that that's, uh, I don't know, it, it seemed to, it struck a chord. And I think it also called into question one of the fundamental points of this series, which many have pointed out, which is that we're constantly following noble people and aristocrats, as I said last episode, and not following sort of, you know, normal everyday people. And while, you know, Varys has consistently been an advisor to kings uh, and, and queens and things like that, um, he was of low birth and, and all the rest of it. And so, you know, the, this argument for, you know, everyday people, it seems to be coming to the surface a bit more and a bit more. And I think it, it'll be 
I'm curious to see what the the ramifications are, maybe on the finale, in terms of, you know, what what power do the actual civilians have in the context of um, this battle among highborn houses and lords and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I thought the same thing, and we talked about last week how, for a very long time, this show has not had a real sense of place, and the effect that that's had is that there's not really a sense that of what any of these people are really fighting for. Like, what world are they trying to gain? Right. Um, all we see is their little secluded, uh, you know, rooms in, in huge castles where they make their moves, but we never see the broader scope of what they're actually trying to achieve. And we're getting more of that this season, and this Varys scene is a really good example of a scene of a character who, finally we have someone with the perspective of, I care about the people who live here, and I don't want them to be ruled by someone who doesn't care about them. Like, the, it's, it is their interests. This is the f- one of the few characters we've ever seen whose interests aren't uh, just, first of all, themselves or their uh, family and their house um, or some broader, like, abstract thing like, you know, legacy or whatever. Um, those are the terms that this show almost always operates on. So it's nice to finally have a character who operates... Uh, for you know the uh for the bigger picture basically yeah i i I agree i do wonder to some degree you know varus almost sounds like okay this is going to sound really ridiculous but he sounds like sort of a a centrist you know sort of a like half measure kind of person you know who's the to to relate this to legend of korra and for those of you don't know the character I'm about to reference is um, a bit of an anarchist. But where's the who's the Zaheer of this universe, right? Who thinks that leadership should just not be a thing, or, or or royalty shouldn't be a thing at all, and that these houses all suck, and that we should end, you know, royal lines and you know, either push for anarchy or elected officials or some sort of thing that doesn't seem to be Varys's endgame. Maybe it is. Who, no. who knows? The High Sparrow was the closest we got to anything like that, and even he was very clearly like. You know, the, just the new leader. Right, exactly, exactly. And I think, well, yes, I, and it doesn't mean that in that society people don't strive for power. But, you know, why, you know, it Varys is like, you know, changing one monarch for the other, but hasn't come to the conclusion that maybe monarchs just suck. Uh, and I just find <laughs> that kind of funny that he's like, well, you know, I'm going to try and manage and the one who's best for, you know, the people. You know, the good g- question to raise is, has there ever been a, a king who is actually good for the people, and uh, that may be, you know, the answer is no. Uh, you know, yeah. There's something Jim Broadbent's character, who I'm going to start saying his name now, is um, Ebros. <laughs> I couldn't is keep it? calling no. him Jim Broadbent. Yeah. Um, last week he had a whole monologue where he was talking about how, you know, when the Targaryens Empire uh, collapsed, people panicked and they thought, well. You know, all we've ever known is the Targaryen Empire. What are we going to do right, now? Yep. And then a new empire rose. So definitely, we the, the people in this world are, are living in a situation where they they can't imagine anything outside a, a monarchical, uh, you know, uh, system of government. They just can't comprehend anything else, any other way of living their lives, um, which is. On the one hand, I guess, a little strange from our perspective, but on the other hand, like, in the real world, yeah, for, you know, how many hundreds of years uh, did this work exactly the same way? No, actually, <laughs> absolutely. Kind of, 
Yeah. Absolutely. That's and I'm a, not expecting people on the ground necessarily to figure this out. But you would think somebody like Varys might be like, you know what? Nah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm done with these. Just poison all of them. And then, you know, cer- certainly he has enough resources to end several houses. I mean, the Lannisters are almost completely gone. Uh, there's not really any Targaryens left. He could end that line entirely. Um, there's not that many Starks left. Like, he could easily <laughs> start just picking them off. Um, and maybe that's what he's doing. Uh, I really don't know, but there's no indication that that's really what he's up to. Although, you know, we don't know his endgame. So I, I just I just like this... I, but I do like the, the you know, the, the average person uh, having some sort of role in this. And the other uh, character... Or the other thing that's... Uh, that's related to this is when they're talking about, you know, what does Daenerys want to rule? Um, you know, it's still that question of, you know, who are we talking about? And they actually, for the first time, bring up like civilian deaths, like that's a, yeah. which isn't, you know, Stannis never even addresses when he's assaulting King's Landing. Um, who knows how many random people just died during that fight? Um, so yeah, this is. Uh, it's, I'm glad to see this conversation continue in the show because they could very easily just rely on these central because they made their main characters these houses and of course we want the starks to win but they are just another you know rich old family that's ruled this entire region for however many um decades so yeah yeah this this by the way not to double back to the confederate thing this is another reason why i'm kind of worried about that because i don't want the confederate show to be from the perspective of like the I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but from, like, white people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm worried just, just from... I, and not to say that they can only make one type of story, because there's no reason to really believe that, but it, it it concerns me that for so long on this show, they seem to have no even conception of anyone besides the most powerful people in this world. Right. Well, and, and neither does George R. R. Martin, you know, for that matter, right? It's... Well, I mean, the books, the books have a greater variety of perspectives. Um, and the books have more of uh, like what you, what you talked about last week. How there we never hear the songs in this world. There are a lot of songs in the books. Oh, okay. Sometimes obnoxiously, <laughs> um, but we get definitely to hear more from kind of like you know the small folk. Um, probably not. Again, I'm not. This doesn't absolve the greater problem of like we were really only ever hearing from nobles, but but it's always people in positions just, of power. Yeah. No, I got you. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, and it's not always the most, uh, it's not always the most interesting perspective. For, I mean, just think about pure storytelling, uh, yeah. you know, and quality of storytelling in that regard, but also, you know, yeah, it does, it does raise some concerns about who, who the focal point of a, of a, you know, a show like Confederate will be. So I guess we'll see. Um, you know, there are shows about like the West or whatever, where there's clearly those dynamics going on, like Deadwood, uh, which we've of course discussed in our other podcasts, Hoopleheads. Uh, check it out, um, and you know there's a lot there's a lot going on there as well. But it's still done in in a way that's very different, and certainly is more historical than it is. You know, let's imagine a world. So there are ways to do it that are not um, the way I think they will do it. Which, well, anyway, let's see. Let's not pass let's not pass judgment until we really know. You know, um, which is what they <laughs> which they said in interviews. Um, okay, so uh, we have a brief. So this was. Melisandre shows up, uh, and we get finally get the prophecy that I don't think we had heard. Had we heard this before? About the I don't know. Well, first of all, I was I knew it from people I watched telling me I watched about the, the book, I watched the show with my mom, and last week, um, 
we were talking about uh, the characters we didn't see, and I was like, oh, well, there's Masande, but, you know, we probably won't see her again for a really long time. Um, <laughs> and, of Masande course, she appears Mel- almost immediately. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, Melisande. God, they shouldn't be allowed to have characters <laughs> names that similar. Yeah, Melisandre. Um, but yeah, she's she shows up, and I don't think she's she probably told it to John last season because um, she. I, I thought she said like, something about it, but I can't remember what the exact. Uh, somebody will probably correct us, but I feel well. There's the whole thing free. with Ezor Ahai. But I don't remember if that's... I think that's separate from the prince that was promised. This is one issue that, even in the books, always always confused me. Oh, I thought those these were the are, same thing. I didn't realize. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if they are. <laughs> they might be. Yeah, and then the other question, you know, are we gonna, ever going to get the uh, the full flashback? I feel like there's more that they wanted yeah, to do with that. Yeah, it's weird that they let... I mean, they'll probably, when they... Uh, I'm sure when they'll Brand, back. What's funny, Bran is gonna. He made his way to the wall, and John was gone, and now he's gonna get to Winterfell, and John won't be there. Yep. Um, but presumably, when they finally meet up again, <laughs> um, he'll be able to relay that information. Yeah, that would be um, useful, I think. He also just send a, a raven. Now he's at the wall. They could have just sent one. So that was. Yeah, ravens arrive instantly now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to this later. <laughs> Which is really good, you know, because you know, in my mind, I was like, yes, cool, we're we're really moving things along. Um. But, you know, as soon as Daenerys is like, we need to talk to, or, you know, whoever, Melisandre's like, you should probably talk to Jon Snow, um, you know, she sent a raven, and then it's, you know, there immediately in the next scene. I was like, cool, things are moving. Um, <laughs> one thing I just wanted to say about this uh, tr- translation about the uh, the prince and uh, is like, actually, it's gender neutral. I was like, okay, that's fine. And then they're like, it's prince or princess. I'm like, okay, but if it's gender neutral, why don't you just say, like, you know, royal person. Yeah, that, <laughs> that I thought the exact same thing. I mean, why why even bring it up? I, is my thing is like it, it feels very much like they're trying to. It feels like they're putting almost too much emphasis on like ah, but you see, it doesn't have to be uh, a man. <laughs> um, when it could have just been like, well, I mean, they say prince, but you know, the the prophecy doesn't. The pro- I don't think anyone would have expects any prophecy to be taken 100% literally in <laughs> fiction because that we know that's not how prophecies work. I think if like it turns out that Daenerys is the f- 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 fulfiller of this prophecy, everyone would have been like, oh, okay. No one would have been like, but they said it was a prince. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Um, so that, you yeah, say that, that <laughs> and yet there's a lot of religions that would uh, disagree with you. Uh, but yes, right, no, well. <laughs> in principle, sure. Um, my issue wasn't that they specified the, the, it. Actually, I think it was fine when they say actually it's a gender neutral word. They just left it there, but then they had to just to me it was the binary that. Yeah, that does. Me. That's not what gender neutral means. Yeah, exactly. It's like gender neutral A or B. <laughs> Those are your choices. Um, but yes, so uh, so then there's a raven at Winterfell, and then we get uh, Sir Davos finally says something. Um, I mm. feel like he hasn't really said much of anything uh, this season, and his big contribution is that dragons breathe fire, which I thought was one of the funniest. I actually, for an episode that I generally quite like, this was the dumbest line, where he's like, <laughs> "Well, you know, you know what breathes fire." Dragons. You know, like, thanks, Davos. Yeah. That was really no insightful. One put that I couldn't have put that together myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really dumb. Um, then, uh, yeah, I think that's that's about that. Uh, and then we get... 
the scene with Cersei. Um, right. And and um and Sam's dad. And Sam's dad. Yeah. So first of all, I think this is is this the first time we learned that the Tyrells support Daenerys? Do we know that, or did they say that last episode? I can't remember. Yeah, they said that last episode. Okay. But I think they said they said it was like you know, shaky. Shaky, right? Like okay, a, not so, really reliable. So anyway, we get that in a lot more depth here. But I, what I really liked was the scene with Jamie and, um, what's his name, the, the Tarly guy, Randall. Randall. Oh, and Dickon. <laughs> and Dickon, yeah, where he calls him Rickon. <laughs> Which is first. never they. I mean, that's never not going to be funny to me. But I especially like that they pointed it out for a show that sometimes with minor characters it's easy to lose track of their names. Yep. I like that they reminded you that his name is Dickon, and that Jamie didn't remember that he remembered Rickon, who's a Stark, yeah. of course, who we've. Yeah. Well, we're never. I mean, when you him. have a character with a name like Dickon, you want to make sure your audience remembers. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> who's going to forget Dickon Tarly, a hero of Game of Thrones? <laughs> Um, it's always going to be D- funny. Dick and Tarly, and that's <laughs> just a ridiculous name. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so uh, two things. I really like Jamie playing on Tarly on uh, on Randall's uh, xenophobia uh, because I don't know that Jamie believes it, and it's still super gross. But it was very smart, and so it's it's great because it's exactly what happens in politics all the time. Yeah. But even more than that, what was really good. Uh, about this is it almost justified those scenes, well not almost, it, I think it did it directly tied into all those scenes we got with Sam's home life, which we thought were kind of random uh, last season now we're seeing, you know, understanding how much of a xenophobe and traditionalist the Tarleys are uh, you see how directly that play, we didn't need that background for this character now, because we know exactly what kind of person he is, so he fell hook, line, and sinker for Jamie's complete nonsense about, you know, foreigners invading and you know the those savages and all the rest of it. So it was. Uh, I don't know. I I just really like this uh, interaction. Yeah, and I like that Jamie was. I like the moment where Jamie leans in and he's like, "Look, I know you don't like my sister," <laughs> which of course uh, he's probably the only person who does. Um, but I I do I do think it's funny that that is just something that they have to acknowledge, even though she's the queen, is that. No, nobody really likes her, but you know, we'll we'll make sure there's something in it for you. But uh, it, it is worth noting that Jamie is really going out on a limb. To, he's not just passively standing by; he's actually trying to get her allies. Uh, when he could be conspiring against her, he could just not be participating or whatever. He's actively helping her, which again leads to this question of like, why? But anyway, yeah, I thought that too. This was even this really especially since you mentioned it in the last episode this really stood out to me like it doesn't really track why i mean i guess this is just not who jamie is ultimately jamie's not the kind of guy who unlike most of the other characters on this show right. will run around you know conspiring with people behind his sister's back and and you know just kind of uh hitch his wagon to whoever will get him the farthest um but yeah, practically, this is not a great decision. Uh, sticking with Cersei, and he obviously knows that. I just don't think it's with it. It's in his. It's not in his nature to uh, to do anything else. And I just, you know, somebody pointed this out on Twitter. I think, um, you know, these are characters who, or sorry, the, the, yeah, these are all characters who allegedly knew the Mad King or knew what it was like living under the Mad King, and knew, or maybe didn't know. I guess, but what he had done or what he was threatening to do with this wildfire um 
And Cersei literally did it. And it's just, everyone's <laughs> just like, yeah, it was terrible under... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> Sorry, what did she do? She blew up the what? Um, yeah, I don't care. I, you know, it's, what, what matters is that the Targaryens were bad. Uh, you know, it's just like, how do you not see what's happening right in front of you? Again, parallels I won't even get into. But I just... A and B, A and B do not connect at all. So you know, and again, I kind of expected out of the people in the room, but not Jamie is the weird one who really like being reminded about what got him to where he is now, and him being the Kingslayer and all of that. Being reminded of that constantly by Cersei as she tries to propagandize to these people, and he doesn't just go, "Wait a minute, what am I doing? She's crazy," <laughs> and then killing her. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, like we've talked about, we know that that's where this is headed. Like. It, They're well, pretty clearly setting that up. I would think so, but it's just so weird because... Yeah, because they're not... Because they're taking their time. They're taking their time and there's when, not like hints Yeah, he, he has everything he needs to make that turn. It's strange that they're... And she has so few allies. This would be a great time to do it. Yeah. And then he could run yeah, off and exactly. become like a refugee. But, you know, it just doesn't seem like they're going that direction. I don't know. It's, it's a bit odd. Um... So yeah, so yeah, yeah. So then we learn this thing about uh, Cersei that she has what looks like some sort of artillery. Oh yeah, this this uh, ballista yeah, this that ballista can pierce thing, yeah. a dragon's skull, which seems to—I mean, dragons do have like scales and stuff um, that are presumably pretty hard, and are also not going to be like uh, ten feet away when you shoot the thing at them. You have to like aim it and things like that, but yeah, and it's got to like fly through the air, and it's going to like lose momentum. Um, so it's not going to be hitting quite as hard. So I get th- that this was supposed to be like an impressive display, but I, when I saw this, I was like, this is not how this is going to play out. <laughs> if you try to use these things on the dragons and, re- you know, it might hurt them, but this well, is I not the same situation. Ch- well, yeah, I mean, and the other thing is we haven't been given any idea of what dragons are like or if they're, you know, in, in, in Lord of the Rings, I make it very clear that Smog has, you know, diamond hard skin and you can't pierce it with anything. Yeah. And even a regular arrow. Although it's ma- they make a point in this episode that um, one of the dragons was pierced by spears or whatever. Well, that's in, what uh, they're saying, exactly. So now we have this information, but then it's like, well, then it's just a regular animal and you should be able to just kill it with whatever. They just <laughs> yeah, don't... So, what is the, so, so, so why is the ballista impressive at all? Well, yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> wow, you spent... You know, it's like, we all of our engineers got to... Do they not have artillery? <laughs> is that not a thing? But we saw it at the wall with all... Yeah, wait a minute. Why did they not have something like this already? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, okay, so I don't, like, I am not a historian, so I don't know medieval, like, the progression of medieval technology. Um, I presume in the beginning it was very primitive, and over time, you know, they developed, you know, better bows, crossbows started to become a thing. Uh, You know, probably artillery started becoming more prevalent. Um, But, like, the Romans had artillery, you know? Uh, So I don't really know where, but then, of course, that then the Dark Ages and all that, so maybe they lost all of that information but like the romans had artillery they catapults and things like that so i don't know they seem to be very impressed with themselves for creating what is effectively a giant crossbow (laughs) um i don't know maybe maybe that's important for this world but since we have very little understanding of what i mean it must yeah like you know the thing is we know that it is just because they're setting it up to be yeah so they must be really new and and innovative but it's just like okay i feel like a couple people with bows could probably take down a dragon in that case it's yeah, like this this thing could have just shown up in the scene where it's obviously going to shoot the dragon, 
And I don't think anyone would have been like, wait, where did she get that? <laughs> yeah. Like, of course they have art- artillery, you know, like, and that we didn't see it before because, I don't know, it was a night scene with, you know, boats, you know, King's Landing, and that's why we didn't see it. You know, it wouldn't, but anyway. Because I was, it, at first, when they first hinted that it was a thing, that he had a solution for uh, the dragons, I was like, oh, it's going to be some sort of, oh, no, it's just a... Just a crossbow. Yeah, that was the first of two times that I had that same feeling in this episode. We'll get to the second one later, but that same feeling of like, oh, you have like a secret method? Right. To take the, oh, you just shoot them. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I know exactly what you're talking about. I had the same thing. (laughs) I even have in my notes. Um, Yes, exactly. So we'll we'll get to that in a second. So um, we go back to Daenerys and she's got, you know, her Mass Effect scene where each person's giving her different pieces of advice and she has to decide who she's going to listen to. Um... (laughs) And, She's definitely uh, not uh, gonna go renegade on this run. No, no, it doesn't doesn't look like it. Although, who knows? Um, <laughs> it looks like Elena's trying to stoke those fires. Uh, for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, so it, you know, there's these games, these Bioware games, uh, which are video <laughs> games where you can like make decisions based on what your advisors are telling you, and they're all leaders of different groups and whatever, and they're always like, "Do this, no, do this. This is a better idea," or "This is stupid," or "Why don't you try that?" And you have to you know, choose conversation options to fill that. I think we've brought it up many times in the past, but... Oh, almost certainly. Um, It's just funny, (laughs) because that's exactly what this scene felt like. Um, The one thing I'm a little sad about is that we didn't get to see any of these characters meet. Like, they're all just suddenly in a room together, and it's like, okay, but what was it like when Elena met Daenerys, or when, you know, Yara met Elena? Yeah, that was a weird thing to skip over. Hmm? I agree, that was a weird thing to skip over. For a show that, like revels in these moments of like ah oh, these two characters who finally meeting yeah they're finally meeting yeah it's, and for like a lot of them because of the sand snakes it's the same thing um i guess the Greyjoys met, met her last season but like yeah it's it's uncharacteristic of game of thrones to completely issue that uh moment yeah they're just all of a sudden all together and uh, certainly meeting daenerys like and also it, it, what what's weird to me is specifically daenerys is like this character that people have heard about but is sort of mythical, not real, connected to a dynasty that was really dangerous and famous and, you know, dragons and all the rest of it. And, like, as far as they knew, it was a little girl, but suddenly she comes back and they thought that the Targaryens were dead and dragons, I mean, just... But we don't get a reaction from them at all because we've they've already met, I guess. Um, but it's just weird <laughs> from the suddenly being in the room and also... Uh, you know, they all are suddenly a Dragonstone, which, I don't know, do they, how do they all get, I mean, I guess they just traveled there, but I don't know. Yeah, they teleport now. That That's what, it's a good thing on this show now. We don't have to, like, wait episode after episode for things to arrive at different places. They can just be there. Right, yeah. It is, it's, it is, it's very convenient. Um, and, uh, you know, we, it's, it means that characters just keep interacting with each other a lot more, um. It's like a, a gas in like a, a volume, and we just keep compressing the volume, so the pressure's getting higher. The <laughs> collisions keep happening at a greater frequency. Um, so maybe the world's just getting smaller. That could be something we're not considering. Um, hmm. So, uh, and then Elena gives this one. The one thing I just want to say about this is I like the I like that she says, you know, she's known a lot of clever men, and she's still alive, uh, and they're not. So, you know, <laughs> uh, she's like, I'm like, you know what? She has a point. Uh, but Tyrion does seem to know what he's talking about and has survived a weird series of events, so I don't know. But I, I appreciate the Yeah, advice, also, you know. and this this goes back to what I was saying earlier, like, Elena didn't survive by, you know, being out in the open and attacking her enemies. 
which is what she's advising, kind of. Uh, so it's again, it's, it was just kind of strange. I think um, she's she's more advocating for independence, not necessarily going crazy. I'm that's true. Although I do like, um, I, I do thought I did think it was interesting this plan that uh, only the uh, Westerosi allies are going to attack King's Landing. That was very they don't smart. Want it to, that whole thing was yeah, because they don't want it to seem like it's a foreign horde uh, besieging this. Which city. is exactly what Jamie's like. trying to stoke. Yeah, up exactly. <laughs> they're they're both on the yeah. same page. Yeah. Um, I'm not exactly sure why... I mean, I know the justification for taking Casterly Rock, that it's the Lannister seat of power, um, but there's only two Lannisters, and neither of them are there. Yeah. So, <laughs> it seems like a sure strange decision. I'm not sure what that decision. plan is, yeah. Right, because all the other... Yeah, I, so were there really no other Lannisters at all? Like, not I even, guess like, there, there must be some... Yeah, there must be some cousins left. Um, they don't seem overly concerned about that, though. No, yeah. Like, it, like as in, didn't bring um, them up. Jamie and Cersei don't seem to think they have any family left. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how they're, like, treating it. But there must be some, like, yeah, some cousins or something. I mean, I assume there is. I or... mean, I'm, I assume Casterly Rock isn't literally empty. Um, although Dragonstone was when they got there, so who knows? Yeah, why would nobody have taken Dragonstone? It's a castle, like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's not strategic. There was no one squatting in it? Yeah. That's weird. That would have been funny. Yeah, <laughs> if it was just, you know... Some character we haven't seen, maybe maybe Dario or something, who just you know ended up in a <laughs> he's a hermit now uh, for some reason, <laughs> or maybe maybe at Dragonstone that's where they would have found Jorah if he hadn't gone to the Citadel or something. Um, yeah, there you go. So quickly, I just want to get into this uh, the scene with Grey Worm and Missande. Uh, yes, we haven't seen really very much at all for the. I mean, we've seen them, but they haven't really had any specific. Um, they haven't had any real lines or significant moments aside from yeah. When translation. when this scene happened, I was like, oh yeah, this is a subplot. Yeah, I well, point, I've actually we been doing dreading this. it coming back because of again all these other things that have come out about Confederate and all that. Um, so what I'll say is this, um, and I think I've brought it up before. There's a and it's it's uh, I'll for people listening if you want to read links about this in more detail by people who are much better um, uh, informed about these issues than I am and, and, and can talk about in a lot more detail. But what I'll say is this. Um, there is a, a, a phenomenon in uh, television and, and media in general of taking black characters and specifically black men and uh, and, what, and and men of color in general but and, and emasculating them in some way or or sort of desexualizing them so that they can uh, be not so that they can not be a threat to other characters on the on the show or in the movie or whatever. Um, and so to take like the only black character in the show of any significance, there's been like one or two side characters, but Grey Worm is the main male black character on this show, and the fact that he happens to also be a um, an unsullied and so therefore has uh, you know is a, a was was um, castrated at birth, you know, the, or whenever it was a youth or whatever, um, it does fall into that trap. And there's a the classic example of this in popular media is Cyborg, who is notorious in in some of the redesigns of the character in DC Comics for no no longer having uh, genitals, which is something that a lot of people took issue with because they felt like 
you know, that's what made him okay to be part of the team because he wasn't a threat to Superman and Batman and all the other characters in interacting with female characters or with potential love interests or whatever. And it's just back and forth, and there's people who radically disagree with this interpretation. They think that that's reductionist or whatever. Um, what I will say is that they kind of weirdly do something interesting with this where they... Um, uh, where in this case they give Grey Worm this sexual encounter where it's not an issue. Um, it is with another black character and therefore, you know, still keeps him, you know, sort of segregated from potentially ending up with Daenerys like Dario did and, you know, all these, and Jorah and all these other characters who have direct relationships but are all white with Daenerys uh, as an example. Um, but it's this, it's an interesting subplot uh, in that regard in that it, it could be very seen as very problematic or conversely um, weirdly progressive because Grey Worm is still showing, you know, having this sexual interaction with, with Missande that seems to go well uh, based on what we saw in the, uh, the scene. So, it's uh yeah i don't know i just i felt like it was worth mentioning and it's something that again i will link out to to articles that discuss this in a lot more detail i'm sure people have written about it um but it's something that sticks out in my mind every time i think about the you know this being the only the only relationship on the show that we see uh, from many characters of color yeah i thought this was a tasteful scene um as game of thrones sex scenes go yeah jacob anderson who plays gray worm doesn't get a lot of acting showcase in this role. Um, I, thought I thought he was, it was good great. here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this is the first moment where he's really gotten to kind of um, uh, stretch his muscles in well, this role. Emote. Usually he's not allowed to emote. Exactly. Well, yeah, <laughs> by nature of the character, which is his own, it's its own challenge if, you know, as a performer, I guess. Um, but yeah, he's normally not doing a whole lot. And this was a great scene, I think. Um, his speech about fear and how because he's in love, now he's afraid. Um, that was a great, yeah, it was a great speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was not uh, the most... I don't know if... It, it, wasn't, it wasn't poorly written, but it was... Uh, it was one of those speeches where I feel like there's a big book of, of like movie speeches <laughs> that you can kind of insert into your thing. And this really kind of felt like one of those. A little bit, yeah. Um, but but which I thought is, it was well executed. In the, not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, well executed, well well performed, I think. It was well performed, and it fit, I think it fit the character. Um, but just to get back to that point again, for what I was saying before, not only is he was he castrated at birth, but he also wasn't allowed to emote. So we had a, like a primary black character who can't emote at all, um, which, you know, runs in this into this sort of, you know, uh, sanitized, you know, character model or, or character uh, archetype that um, is very convenient uh, that, oh, well, he's unsullied. That's why this is the situation where he can't emote, doesn't have a sexual relationship with any other character, etc., etc. And in this case, we do see, again, as I said, um, you know, he does develop this relationship with Masande, which is um, perhaps breaking that uh, but still, you know, there is that underlying, you know, concern that this probably is not the best written um, uh, black character in, in the history of uh, of television. Um, no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just uh, worth pointing out. And, uh, you know, I keep thinking back to, like, for example, Luke Cage, where we have a very different, um, completely different uh, sort of character who has emotive and sexual and but has other, you know, loads of other primary defining character defining characteristics where they didn't throw sort of the baby out with the bathwater in that case and they were able to create a very you know i think 
well-rounded character and so um you know black male character and so i think that's really worth um you know considering in the context of this show that is excruciatingly white for the most part um (laughs) you did you finish luke cage just oh yeah i wrote nothing completely i did not um i I didn't yeah i didn't hate it or anything but i did get about i think i got like eight episodes in and i was like all right i'm good like (laughs) it is okay interesting I mean, this. I mean, you know that this type of show isn't really my thing. But it was like, I was like, all right, I I appreciate what this is doing. I don't super feel a desire to see this through to the end. Um, but all right, uh, <laughs> which is more than I can say for most of those other shows. <laughs> God help me if I ever start. Uh, if I ever mention that I'm watching Iron Fist, put me out of my misery. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's um, I have yet to start that because I feel like if I start something, I like to finish it. And I don't want to be in that position. Um, so I'm just not going to start it. And I'll just skip to the Defenders or something. Um, anyway, total side note. Uh, I will link, again, I'll link out to all these articles about Cyborg, which you can superimpose your own thoughts about Grey Worm and whether or not this is relevant at all, or if I'm completely barking up the wrong tree. Um, so that scene aside, uh, there's this great match cut to the hand reaching for books. Uh, then we get... Um, you know, this discussion of Jorah and his illness and whether or not it's treatable. And uh, one thing that I just want to point out that's really creepy that Jorah does, he's writing this letter to Daenerys and he calls her Khaleesi again. Yeah, I'm, yeah. And it just makes my skin <laughs> crawl now. He's just so, like, weirdly, it's like, it's not it's not a pet name, right? It's a title. And yeah. the fact that you're like, no, it's, it's our thing. We do this. <laughs> no. She sent you away. You're creepy and old and dying. And she sent you away. And he's still. It's cons- bizarre. <laughs> she's a she's the queen. She's a queen. Literally and every other character her... calls her a queen, and he's like, "No, to me, she'll always be Khaleesi." Okay, Jorah. Yeah, I don't know if that's supposed to. I guess it's supposed to be endearing, but it's really weird. Ugh, it's the. Um. That said, uh, I did like the scene where um. Well, first of all, I love that the as you said, you know this this cure for dragon scale. Uh, yeah, my God, it's ridiculous because they they play it up. First of all, by the way, um, Stannis's daughter still had like the grayscale on her. Oh yeah. The whole point was that it, it the advancement was stopped, which I'm sure if they could just stop the spread and stop him from losing right. his mind, that Jorah would be fine with that, and it would just still be on his body. Um, but they play it up like Ebro's does this whole thing about how like oh no no no, you can, it's it's far too dangerous. This this procedure has been banned. It's it's right. it's uh, it couldn't pop. And then the procedure, the secret, the secret cure to grayscale is just you take it off. Yeah, exactly. It's just cut it off. That's exactly <laughs> what I wrote. It's simply cutting it off. Um, like that's it. But you can see. Okay, so two things. One is uh, Stannis' daughter was not. What was her name? I don't remember. I don't remember her name. Anyway, um, <laughs> she died. So yeah, that was not this treatment. It was something else. We don't we don't know what that was, but apparently it doesn't work on adults. All right, fine, um, for reasons. But um, with uh, cutting it cutting it off as a you know you can see why that was banned. It seems like something that you know you can die from. You know, it, just like the trauma of the procedure, I could see how that would be a problem. I, I, as for why that would give someone else grayscale, uh. I don't really know because they seem to. Yeah, apply. any more so than just like touching them. Yeah, I don't. It, it's not really clear. 
So maybe it's because it's direct contact to like fluid or something. I, I don't know, but it was. Like, yeah, but he's got gloves on. I mean. Yeah, exactly. So it, I guess it's fine. It'd be really depressing if Sam gets grayscale at the end of the series. <laughs> it'd be terrible. Oh my god, I'd be so mad. It'd be really depressing. Um, but yeah, it looked horrifying. Uh, then there's this great cut to this pie. Oh my god. Which was the, it... expertly done, but truly horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, then we get this really cute little scene with Hot Pie, who we haven't seen in a while. Yeah, of all the characters, I never, I didn't think we'd see Hot Pie again. I know. Um, yeah, and I, nice. I just really, really, really like the scene where Arya is so, you know, focused on what she's uh, doing that she barely interacts with Hot Pie, um, and can't really bring herself to. You know, they met at such a different time in their respective lives. Um, and it's just, I love when Hot Pie says, you know, we're both survivors and all this, you know, it's just, it's, it's just a really great interaction for me. I really like this scene. Um, and then also Arya learning that, in fact, Jon Snow is alive. Although nobody said anything about Sansa. I guess they didn't know. She's... Yeah, that was a weird omission. Although I guess she has no reason to think that Sansa's dead as opposed to, well, she has no reason to think Jon is dead either. No, we... but they don't have any idea, where, you know, but maybe Hot Pie doesn't know that Sansa's at Winterfell as well. But I feel like someone mentioned it. Yeah, I feel like if if it's mentioned that John is there, then surely Sansa would also come up. Maybe he has out of date information, or I don't, I don't know. Um, but yes. So anyway, this is a cute scene, and then we see Arya decide to maybe go north. Um, and what, while we're at it, why don't we just do the wolf scene? Because yeah, sure. That happens not long after, um, where she runs into her old Nymeria or whatever. Yep. Her old wolf's uh, name is, which is very convenient uh, that she happens to run into this wolf pack led by her old um, dire wolf, uh, who is, like, it's not like it finds her. It's like, doesn't trust her and doesn't realize it's her. And then, you know, so it's not like it's, it's literally just coincidence that they ran into one another. I don't know if that was my read of that scene or if that was the intended uh, read. I feel like. Well, first of all, we know that the Starks have kind of deeper connections to their direwolves because sure. Bran had the whole thing where he could see through his direwolf's eyes. Um, so there is some kind of... Well, he was warging, wasn't he? Yeah, but there's there's some kind of like latent psychic connection. Like Ghost and Jon have, have definitely a, a very deep connection. Sure. Um, and... What was I... Yeah, so... I think the idea here... Because at, at the end of the scene, she says, that's not you. And at first I was like, well, at first I thought that she was saying that that's not Nymeria. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> but I think that the, the whole idea of the scene is like, it's not in Nymeria's nature to go with her. That she has her own, you know, she's just like right. Arya, she's independent. She has her right, own right, right, plans. Yes. And, and that's and also like that. maybe true of Arya as well, that maybe she shouldn't go back home. She should go to King's Landing, I guess is what the point of this was, which is fine. It's just the coincidence of them running into each other in the woods. That's all I was referring to. Um, but yes, I mean, clearly, I think that's the read of the scene is that it's, you know, like Nymeria, she should go her own way and not go to Winterfell and, and continue her mission and not change course, which is, I think, what she's going to do. Or that she should go to Winterfell and be with her pack. Oh, maybe. I thought, I assumed that, like, the pack I mean, would yeah, be it Arya could be and either. Nymeria, and then that's why she's not going with her, and similarly, Arya shouldn't go back to her home either yeah i don't know i guess we'll see well i guess this wasn't very clear then 
they should make it clear and be on the nose, like dragons breathe fire. We need Davos <laughs> to just explain things to people uh, in every scene. Um, feel free to let us know. By the way, um, I do want to bring this up because we've uh, we're about to get back to Sansa and uh, John, where John decides he's going to accept the invitation to King's Landing because he now knows. Oh, sorry, to, to Dragonstone, Dragonstone because now he knows that there is Dragonglass there. Um, and this is actually really, you know, important moment for him because he's, you know, making this decision despite the advice of everyone around him for good reason, advising him not to go. Uh, and he says, no, I think I still want to go. I think it's important and gives the North to Sansa, which is a very, you know, important moment, uh, I think, um, but because we're talking about Sansa and John again, uh, I want to address the comments. Uh, that we got. So it's something I just want to point out. So like, for example, we were just talking about Nymeria, etc. If you guys have any comments or questions or things you want to drop into the comments on moviefail.com on the actual article, uh, we won't always address all comments all the time, but if you leave comments and we have, there are things that we want to discuss, or if you want to address points, feel free to leave comments there and, and we can bring them up. Um, on that point, Adya and uh, I believe Olivia and a couple other people had jumped into the comments to talk about various characters uh, with a particular focus on, uh, I assume, relationships, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, um, and uh, specifically whether or not uh, you know we'll see John and Daenerys, or even the more popular theory going on right now with people, which is that somehow John and Sansa will end up um, together, which would be in the tradition of the noble houses of Westeros. But perhaps not, um, you know, the most. Well, so would John and Daenerys, considering what we know about John now. Well, also very true. I guess it's not really that different. Would it? It's pretty much the same thing. There's no getting around There's it. There's no getting around <laughs> it. Well, is, so Daenerys is what? What did we just figure out? He's she's his aunt. I don't. Right, because she's Rhaegar's sister. I would have sister. to literally look at a family tree. She's Rhaegar's sister. Yes. And he's her. And he's John's dad. Yes. So yeah. So therefore, yeah, she's his aunt. So yeah, sister, aunt, or half sister, aunt. You know, meh. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that's a thing going on right now for people who are interested. You know, maybe I don't know. I will say that there is an perhaps some symbolism, um, which may be related to that, or just a, a bad omen, uh, where John gets very angry at Littlefinger in the crypt. And slams Littlefinger against the wall, uh, which is exactly what Ned did in apparently season one, episode three. Saw that in a screenshot somewhere uh, to Littlefinger, <laughs> and that didn't end up very well for him. Making an enemy of Littlefinger is a terrible idea, and I suspect that that will not uh, end well for Jon Snow. So, <laughs> uh, but he does it in defense of his sister or potential love interest, depending on where they go with it. I suspect that they'll probably make something happen with John and Daenerys. That seems to make more sense, especially considering yeah, that seems to be what they're building too. Especially considering uh, Yara's uh, out of the picture. So, <laughs> sorry, we'll get we're about to get to it. We are about to get to it. So yeah, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to to discuss there, but I think nah. Let's 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 go yeah. into the real the real meat of it. Um. So yeah. So we have uh, the Sand Snakes and. Um, Alaria and Yara and Theon on a boat, and they're headed to. I forget where they were going. Where were they supposed to be going? Were they going to King's Landing? Wait, 
Where are they going? I don't remember. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, I think they are. Because they were supposed to surround the... Uh... I mean, it makes sense, considering what's about to happen. Yeah. That that's the direction they're headed. Right, exactly. Oh, right, so they run into the... They run into Euron, right? So, they're there, and Theon's not entirely enamored of Yara, but, you know, whatever. She treats him sort of like an adult, even if she's kind of like your college roommate. Um, not your college roommate, but generally the college roommate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the archetypal college roommate. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, then Euron shows up out of nowhere in what I think is actually one of the better battle scenes that we've seen in uh, Game of Thrones. I don't know how you felt about it. Um, well, first of all, I want to say that this scene between Yara and Ilaria was really good and quite funny. And I'm just going to pop you over this uh, screenshot I took of <laughs> this incredible face. <laughs> and um, I'm going to demand that you put it in the uh, as the thumbnail for this episode. Because <laughs> um, it's really... The, the face that she makes, the little the, the shrug that she gives Theon is one of the funniest things that's ever happened on this show. Um, so that... It, it's terrible <laughs> how this scene uh, ended, but God, that... It was just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. Maybe we may need to use this for the uh, the header, and you guys will see it, I guess, because it'll be the header of the... <laughs> of the um... It's kind of a cruel uh. thing to do, considering this episode and the way it ends, but sure, why not? Um, <laughs> interesting. So, yeah, uh, you're on out of nowhere. Did you see any of this coming? Um, no, because we had... I don't, did we talk about what we thought he was implying in the last episode yeah, we about thought the it was, gift? We thought maybe it was Gendry or something. Which, in retrospect, doesn't make any sense, because Gendry seems completely irrelevant at this point. Yeah, well, you know, we think maybe it was something, but yeah, this works too, I guess. Uh, makes more sense. I it mean, does. It's it's of more direct benefit uh, at, the, at the moment to Cersei. Absolutely. Um... Well, now she has a bunch of heads of house, you know, as prisoner or dead or whatever. Um, but anyway, I really like this. Like, I thought this... So this scene is not... It's not Battle of the Bastards or whatever. But it also is... A, it felt cinematic, like a big... In terms of the scope, it didn't feel small. I still, to this day, as cool, quote-unquote, as Blackwater was. Um, that felt like the smallest battle in all of Game of Thrones. It was just felt so minuscule because the entire fight on land takes place in front of like one wall because that was all they had to set for, I guess. Hmm. Um, and it just, that really killed it for me. And in this case, it felt like a fleet of ships being attacked when Euron comes out of the smoke with his ships that look, or uh, through the mist, with his ships that look kind of like their ships. And it's just this confusion and what's going on and Euron's crazy. And um, we generally understood everything was that mattered was going on on the same ship. Uh, and we get these these uh, you know looks out you know as 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 Yara looks out into you know the other boats and sees that everything's sort of going terribly, and we keep getting reminded that you know they're losing um, as it goes on, and it's it's really uh, I think they just really sold this scene. I mean, we totally totally believe that these were ships that were encountered, you know, like this was an actual battle um, that you know isn't always conveyed, and I think some of the Game of Thrones uh, you know conflict moments um so i i really liked it I th and i thought it played out uh really well even if I, it infuriates me that 
you know, Yara, who's like one of the best characters, is now dead. Is she dead at the end? No, she's the she's the, she's the gift. She's a prisoner. She's a prisoner. That was that was my read on it. Okay, she wasn't the one hanging at the end then. No, those were the sand snakes. Oh, those were the sand snakes. Okay, yeah. So the sand snakes are gone. Yeah, they are. They go out one, two, three. Yep. <laughs> one after the other. Um. By the way, Alaria is the most useless human. She just stands in the corner. I get. I get it. She's a civilian. Whatever. But like, she doesn't at all try and help. Why does she not know how to fight at all? Yeah. She's literally useless. Like her whole thing is political machination, I guess. But like. All right. I guess I'm I'm being judgy because like Tyrion can't fight either. But I I don't know. I just she leads this little like army of people who she you know can't even help. She doesn't even try and help defend um, in this fight. Nor does she kill herself to make herself not a political pawn. So now they're just all you know. Unless she died too at the end, I couldn't tell. Um, I thought she did. Wasn't she like I don't know. I I thought she was among the. Uh... She might have been. Things they pinned to them. I'm honestly uh, not sure, because they didn't, like, zoom in whatever. on any faces. Um, it was dark. I mean, yeah, this was... I, I thought this was a good battle. A good fight scene, all things considered. I like the sparks, uh, the the embers kind of oh, flying yeah. through the air. Oh, yeah, that was really good. It, it looked good. Um, it was, for a fight Game of Thrones fight scene set at night, it was comprehensible yeah. what was happening, which was nice. Um, I just don't like how it concluded... <laughs> I'm not really thrilled about that. Yeah. Um, but everything leading up to that, I was like, sure. Well, let's talk, I let's talk about that then. What, what, uh... I loved Yara's big jump. <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. Uh, to go down to face Euron, that was awesome. I think the best part about that is that the his little ramp thing actually squished a person as it came down. <laughs> which that was a good detail, Which yeah. is, like, completely unnecessary, but sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it really adds to his entry. And you can tell he's just having a phenomenal time. Um uh, that actor. What's that actor's name? Who plays Euron? Oh, it's I can't pronounce it. <laughs> Pilu Asbake. Pilu Asbake. Yeah, sure. Um, it Pilu Asbake. Sure. So he really just uh, having a ball with this character. Um, <laughs> so you know, get out, go for it. He's finally like I think he wanted to do more of that last season, and now he's finally you know able to. Uh, you know, let loose. So that's great. Um, so yeah, what didn't you, so you liked that, you liked Euron's whole thing. I thought, to be honest, I really thought up to the end, um, the camera work really illustrated. I love when Yara comes out and she's sort of coming to grips with what's going on. It was really well done. And I really got into her headspace where she's like, wait, whoa, <laughs> what is happening? And you can see it's not just that. She's also calculating and trying to figure out what's the best course of action. Um, and she's getting, you know, despite the fact that things are going terribly, she's fighting until like the last breath. And it's, I thought that was really well communicated in, in terms of, uh, and, and it was, you know, the camera's spinning around her. She's looking off. We don't see what she's seeing until later. Um, and she's just sort of processing what's going on. And it's just, it sold it for me. Um, and we don't get much of that with Theon or anyone else. It's really all about Yara. Yeah. <laughs> this is the beginning part. The end, that's another Yeah, no, like I said, the, the fight is, to a point, I think really well executed. Um, what I'm frustrated with is the conclusion because they hold for so long on this question of, like, what is Theon going to do? Right. 
Is he gonna try and save her? Is he gonna like, you know, this this is the payoff to his arc that's been going on for years and years right, yeah. on this show. He's finally gonna take a stand and stand up for himself and save his sister. And but no, he, he jumps overboard. It's it's insane. But doesn't have like the decency to just drown. Exactly. He's like it, I it's... I don't have the I can't go on. But I'm going to say well, I mean, myself. first of all, if if he survives, it'll be, you know, I don't normally like to nitpick on these things, but he's stranded in the middle of the ocean and all the ships around him are burning or his enemy. So I don't know how he's going to get out of that. Good point, I suppose. Um, yeah, they'll have to figure out a way to get him away from that if that is going to happen. Um, but yeah, I just feel like, you know, this is the, we like we've been talking about, this is the end game of the series. This is the, I don't feel, I feel like this is not the time to... I mean, I guess we'll see where it goes, but this is not the time to um, continue harping on these same character beats that we've, you know, like we know this about Theon. We've known that Theon is this way for ages, and I feel like now is the time to like pay, do the payoff. <laughs> to, well, but I'm also to, not sure to, like, what he was supposed this. to do here. That's the other thing that I, like, she, he was like, you know, save your sister. Okay, but what was he, she was, he had his axe to her throat. I guess, but it, you know, but we see that kind of situation all the time in in you know. Sure, no, no, don't get me wrong. But it's just like there wasn't a clear answer in this. Se- like I'm not saying. That I know he, he doesn't have a gun decision. and he can't shoot Euron in the head, um, but the the way the scene is set up, it's this, it's a setup that we're familiar with as viewers, and usually the way that it goes is the hero, what if you want to call Theon that, finds a way to you know save the person and beat the bad guy, um, and if he had just you know, maybe it's it's not even that he's just that he surrendered. If he had just like dropped his sword and like fell to the ground, fell to his knees and surrendered, that would have been one thing, because then they would have been both been prisoners. Right. But the fact that he like, like flees yeah. is what really frustrated me. It's like he's to be that much of a coward. Still, still his his character can't can't move on in any way, shape, or form. It, it just it it frustrated me, especially since I really like Yura. Yeah, she's great, and well, I guess you you did point out she will still be a character, but now she's gonna be a prisoner, which has happened to characters before. It usually doesn't end well for them, but you know who knows. Literally every prisoner yeah. I think has died except for Jamie, and he lost yeah. a hand. So, um, so yeah, you know, yeah, I, I, it wasn't my favorite uh, turn of events. I suppose we can't have our satisfaction with Euron yet. I'm sure it'll be part of maybe that'll be the season's arc. Is Euron is the big bad, and then. You're on it, maybe Cersei, and then the White Walkers. Then next we gotta season? fight the. I guess we. Yeah, I mean the final season is going to be all about the White Walkers, I guess. Uh, but which is yes, it's strange because all the marketing for this season had the Night King in it, and we haven't seen uh hide nor hair of that guy. No, we haven't. We've heard about him. Not that he has either. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hide or hair. Well, that would explain it. There we go. We've got our answer. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, it is what it is. The one thing, uh, also, I thought the Sand Snakes had poison on all their weapons, and they definitely got Euron a bunch of times, so he should be dead. I thought that was a thing, maybe yeah. not. I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to miss the Sand Snakes, honestly. Like, that that was one thing that I didn't... I didn't find it satisfying to see them killed, but I did... I was kind of like, all right. I forgot they were a thing. Good. Yeah, like, we can, like, oh, we can yeah. get... I, I mean, we've, we've talked shit about those characters and that subplot and that location over and over again on this podcast. So to finally be like, all right, they're all gone. <laughs> all of them. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no more. 
Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not sad about that. Although they haven't, this they were actually all fine this season. Oh, sorry, this episode. Everything was they were doing was a fine. I actually, their fight didn't wasn't stupid. I mean, it's stupid. They all had different weapons and that whole dumb thing. They like made them like the Avengers of like medieval combat or whatever. It's stupid, but um, you know they they were fine. And, and I actually was kind of interested to see them in a new circumstance. You know, now they're with the Greyjoys. So how is that interaction going to happen? Um, instead, they're you know, but. And, you know, now they're dead, so we don't even get to see that. But they made this whole big deal last season, I think, or maybe two seasons ago, about this poison, that they're all about poison and stuff. I don't know, maybe it was just one of them, but that that poison was going to kill them no matter what, unless you took the antidote. And then that just didn't uh, yeah. matter here. Because they, when they got Euron, I was like, cool, he's going to die regardless, right? We're good. Nope. <laughs> um, so it is what it is. But anyway, I think that's uh, that about wraps up that episode. Yeah, and the next episode is called The Queen's Justice. So yeah, things not looking too hot for Yara, if that refers to Cersei. Well, it could refer to Daenerys. And it could refer to Daenerys, or I both. guess. Dun, dun, dun. I, it'll probably be both, because that's how titles usually go on this show. Usually, yes. Um, yeah, because we'll see what, uh, you know, she was pretty clear that uh, John would have to bend the knee, and I don't think he will. Um no. Or maybe he will. Maybe he'll see it as the compromise that he needs to make. Um, we'll also see, you know, now Sansa, if if anything happens to John, or if he abdicates or becomes something else, you know, Sansa will be the queen of the North. So we'll have three queens. Um, hmm. Which is cool and very different. And maybe then there's some sort of... Um, uh, maybe that's what the title refers to. Sansa's retribution for killing Jon Snow, but he won't die. Anyway, so uh, until next week, I think that about does it.